0: This is the last week of our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, and we're going out with a bang. But we have, in fact, come to the end of the prayer, and uh, so in this morning's reading, it's fitting, perhaps, that we read from the end of the Bible. But before you get anxious about a text from Revelation, this particular chapter is concerned primarily with the same thing that the end of the Lord's Prayer is concerned with, with our acts of praise and what they will look like when all has come together and God's new creation is unfolding. So listen with fresh ears now for what the Spirit of God is saying to the church this morning. From Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open, And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne, with one seated on the throne, and the one seated there looked like jasper and cornelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that looked like an emerald, And around the throne was twenty-four thrones, and seated on those thrones were twenty-four elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads, and coming from the throne were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and in front of the throne burned seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God, and in front of the throne there's something like a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne and on each side are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with a face like a human face, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night, without ceasing, they sing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall before that one who is seated and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their, throne, their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things... And by your will, they existed and were created. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many summers ago when I was in high school, my family had piled into the minivan and driven to a family reunion in Colorado where we were to see all of my mom's extended family. And you need to know about my mom's family that they are deeply Irish Catholic. And so there were cousins and second cousins and great aunts and uncles and a a huge crowd, many of whom I was meeting for the first time. And we had a wonderful weekend together, connecting and learning some of our shared family history But as part of the family reunion, there was a private family mass presided over by one of my mom's second cousins who happened to be a Catholic priest. And it is a beautiful thing to include God in a family affair like this, but there was one problem. While my mom's siblings knew that my particular family was now Presbyterian, The rest of the extended family did not. And we were not looking to upset the apple cart on a weekend where we were having such a wonderful time. So we decided to keep that little fact about ourselves a secret. I know some of you in the congregation have family that are both Catholic and Protestant, so you may appreciate this. But en route to the family mass as part of this reunion, my mom turned around from the front passenger seat, and she gave us what I have come to call the crash course in how to fake a Catholic mass. (laughs) And she looked at us. Like, kids, are you paying attention? Stand when I stand, sit when I sit, kneel when I kneel. This is how you cross yourself, and for the love of God, don't finish the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) You see, it shows up in other places in their liturgy, but when Catholics pray the Lord's Prayer, they do not say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you keep going, when everyone else stops, the gig is up. But it got me thinking, aside from telling Catholics and Protestants apart, why do we, as Protestants, say that line? Where does it come from and why does it matter? You see, the closing line in the Lord's Prayer isn't, in fact, in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. When Matthew and Luke's Gospels recount Jesus' teaching of the Lord's Prayer, it simply ends with, deliver us from evil. So maybe the Catholics have it right. But the liturgies of the church, even as far back as the first teachings of the apostles in 60 AD, attached this closing line of praise to the Lord's Prayer. It was common then, as it is now, to close with a line of doxology, a word of praise back to God. Anglican theologian N.T. Wright argues that it was actually inconceivable within the Jewish praying styles of the day that Jesus would have intended the prayer simply end, deliver us from evil— Something like this closing line, he says, was probably intended from the beginning. In any case, it chimes in exactly with the message of the prayer as the whole, that God's kingdom and God's power and God's glory in the end are what it's all about. So we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, end by saying, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But maybe the fuss over the end of the Lord's Prayer isn't just about whether Catholics and Protestants have it right, but it invites us to ask the question, Does it matter how we end our prayers after all? And if so, why end this way? Eight weeks ago when we began this series on the Lord's Prayer, we started with the simple question of how should we pray, and we unpacked what it meant in Teresa of Avila's words to be on terms of friendship with God. We said that that invitation to relationship gives us space to praise God. It gives us space to ask God for what we truly need, It gives us words and a way to participate in God's kingdom unfolding here on earth. And the way that we relate to God comes alive not only with the words, but the way in which we live in response to them. And it got me thinking about the way that we posture ourselves in prayer. There's a sort of unspoken, embodied way that we pray. We begin by addressing God— our Father who art in heaven, we say. But after pointing our hands up to God, we tend to do what all of us were taught, many of us at least were taught when, we se- when we're told to pray. We clasp our hands and we bow our heads. And we bow our heads because it helps us pay attention. And we close our hands because it's a way of showing reverence and deference and honor and we bow our hands and clasp bow our heads and clasp our hands in an act of humility asking god for a lot of things big and holy and lofty and good things but i also wonder at times if we clasp our hands because as much as we're asking god to do all these things we secretly also want to hold on to a little measure of control in how our role plays out in this prayer. But then we come to the end. And when we come to the end of the prayer, the final line brings it back to where we began. And from that humble posture, this closing line invites us to lift our heads back up and open our hands open wide to release the tight grip that we have so that we can end in a posture of praise. For thine, we're saying, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory that is yours, O God, forever and ever. Amen. It's this final turn at the end of the prayer that shifts us. We've asked for everything that we know how to ask for, and now it's our chance to hand it back to God. Yours, God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Our hands are empty. All that is left to do is to praise. And in that way, this wild scene from Revelation gets some things right. In the scene you heard this morning, the throne of God is at the center of this worshipful setting. And it sounds beautiful. Jasper, cornelian, emerald, a sea of glass like a crystal... It also sounds mysterious and really weird, right? A crowd gathered around the throne, animals and beasts and six winged seraphs and creatures with lots of eyes. As with so much in Revelation, it's a scene that doesn't make a lot of sense. It sounds fantastical, even scary. And it draws on all of this apocalyptic liturgy that goes all the way back to the Old Testament prophets of Isaiah and Ezekiel, and it imagines a world coming to completion with God. And we sometimes misstep with Revelation because we get caught up in trying to interpret every symbol and number and image and figure out if it fits with something that's happening in our world today, and we forget that Revelation was a dream of John of Patmos. And these apocalyptic scenes, these revelations, are intended to uncover or to reveal something of what our world might look like when the new heaven and the new earth come to pass. So rather than spending a lot of time trying to interpret every one of those images, we're invited to ask the bigger question. Where are all of these beings pointed? What are they doing? What's their posture? And the answer seems to be that no matter where they're seated around the throne, they are pointed toward God in ceaseless praise. We get a glimpse of what pure doxology, pure praise of God looks like. This text from Revelation invites us to imagine the world coming full circle, from creation to brokenness to restoration to a new creation. And what's left in the end is praise. In the same way, the Lord's Prayer has now come full circle. We've started addressing our Creator prayed for thy kingdom to come, and named all the things that have to happen on earth for that to be, and finally, in the end, returned praise to God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Of all of the petitions we have talked about, and some of them are really tough, I think this final act of opening our hands back up to God— is especially difficult for some of us. Or maybe we should say, they're easy words to say, but it's harder to live out. One of the confessions of our church, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, begins with the simple but profound question. The question is, what is the chief end of humanity? And the answer is simple, to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Glory and joy are what we're here for. And it's not that we don't want to praise God, but praise, opening our hands up to God, requires us to let go of some control. And most of us live our lives with our hands clasped. Holding on to failed attempts to control our lives, grasping for power and for worth even at the expense of others. We do this practically in our lives, right? We grip the steering wheel so that we're not late as if holding, t- holding on tighter is going to get us there faster. We clench our hands in anger at the injustices of the world. We fill our hands with stuff. Do you ever leave the house without something in your hands? We cling to this idea that we can save ourselves or determine our own destiny. And even in our prayers, more often than not, our hands are clasped. God, we need so much from you. So this final line in the prayer is an act of release that may or may not come very naturally to us. We get to hand it all back to God. So maybe Jesus is right when he says that the kingdom of God belongs to the little children. Because our children don't seem to have much trouble with this. When Pastor Amanda asks our kids to choose their prayer hands on a Sunday morning, they have no problem going up high and out wide. They like a good sparkle finger or a unicorn or a jazz hand. They will join the children's choir even if they don't have perfect pitch. They are totally willing to embrace this posture of praise. But somewhere along the line in our lives, that posture becomes hard. A dear pastor, a friend of mine, was uh, a pastor at a large church in New York City. And in the midst of a major capital campaign, he lost his way. And it affected his marriage, and it affected his health, and it affected the health of his church. And he finally realized that he had been praying to God but with a kind of clenched fists where he was seeking to control the outcome of what people gave and the direction of the church and the way it would all work out. And he's told me that there was a day in his life where he changed his prayer posture from those clasped hands to to opening his palms. And he realized that in doing so, he was free to hand all those things he'd been trying to control back to God, who is, in fact, as Ephesians says, able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. But what he learned in opening his hands in prayer was that God was able to take things out of his hands, some things he would have rather kept. But God was also free to put something new into his hands, And most of all, he was finally free again to glorify God and enjoy God forever, which is what it's all about in the end. So this final line of the Lord's Prayer brings us full circle, from open hands to closed in petition, back open to God in praise. It invites us to remember what we were made for, our chief end to turn our eyes back toward the throne of God and glorify God together. So we end the way we began, in a posture of celebration and joy, in an act of hope and trust, that the one to whom we have asked so much is, in fact, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who created and redeemed and sustains us all, the one who is capable of more than we could ask or imagine. We end the way we began with hands open, saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So it is fitting that we end our Lord's Prayer series with an act of praise together. And I'm wise enough to know that most in this crowd are not the kind of people that hold their hands up in praise when you sing, it's okay, I'm not going to make you do that. But I am going to invite you to rise and body your spirit, to stand up where you're seated, and should you feel so compelled to leave one of your hands open, to notice how it feels. And unlike my mom's instructions from the front seat of the car, for the love of God together, we are going to finish the Lord's Prayer. So I invite you to sing that prayer together using the insert in your bulletin. Let us pray.